0: Welcome Uh, to you who are here in the building and those who are online. We're glad you're here. If you're expecting Daniel, I know this is a big disappointment for you. (laughs) I'm his dad. And it's a pleasure to to, uh, pinch hit and let him get a little bit of uh, rest and relaxation. Come back. Can you imagine what he'd be like coming back rested up? Wow. (laughs) Bring your friends. Bring your friends. America. What a great country, huh? We are very privileged and blessed to live in America. It's a great nation. I mean, it is a great nation in so many ways. We have rights and freedoms, and we've got the government agencies that take care of us. We have got um, protection domestically. We've got military to protect us from foreign invasion. We have taxes through which that we can help other people and fund the roads and bridges and stuff like that. We have got so many good things going on well, we do have highways, and we have FAA, traffic controllers, right? I mean, that's a good, that's a good thing. And you just keep on going, all these things, uh, building regulations, so that when they build your house, the uh, inspector is there to make sure it's done so it doesn't fall in on you sometime. I mean, some of these things we may get irritated by, but they're very important. And we also have, can you believe this, streaming reruns of Gilligan's Island and Golden Girls. What a country! Where we are, it's great. You know, we are, I believe, one of the best countries in the world. I'm probably biased, but uh, I'm glad I live here and not under a uh, repressive government. Now this is gonna be a great sermon, and it's not gonna be a, oh no, he's gonna get on America. No, we're gonna look at some great things that are going on here in our nation. Uh, You probably realize our nation was originally settled and founded by uh, people who came from Western Europe. They had a unique idea. Never before was a nation founded upon what they put in the original doctrines. We're a democratic republic. Now, what that means, a democratic republic is a representative form of government that is ruled according to a charter, constitution. And a democracy is a government that is ruled according to uh, the will of the majority. So we've got a, 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 a document and we've got people voting. It, it had never been before been seen on the face of the earth. They put a very unique premise, foundational premise in those early documents. In fact, you can see here, one of them is all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator, with certain inalienable rights, and among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And do we know how to chase after happiness? Especially on a holiday weekend. All mankind, women and and men, created equal. This was the first time something like this was inscribed in the founding documents of a nation. Very unusual, very breaking uh, the mold. Uh, the first time that the leaders the people who established a nation didn't take all the power for themselves. No Wrote a document a lot of safeguards power to the people the idea of individuals having value worth dignity and and human rights uh, That is a unique idea that if we lived 2,000 years ago, there would not be a hint of the sanctity of life or the value of an an individual or justice. But there was a person, there was a man 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born, walked among us and taught. And one of the things that he taught and demonstrated was the value and worth of a person, a single person. I've searched history, religion, philosophy, anywhere I can find. And until 2,000 years ago, there was no premise of individual worth and value and human rights. Jesus elevated the value of a human being. Now, he did that. I want you to to read here from Matthew 19. He said, haven't you read, at the beginning, the creator made the male and female. And he's quoting from Genesis 1, 27. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He created them in his image, not physically, but God is is able to relate. He has personhood, plans, thinks, creates, lots of stuff. When he made humans, he made us with those abilities. Uniquely on the planet, human beings created In the image of God with inherent value and dignity. Jesus espoused that and he demonstrated it. In fact, uh, throughout his life, um, he brought forth this hidden verse in the Torah. And he demonstrated it. One way he demonstrated it was one day they were walking down the road and a man with leprosy came running up. Now, if a man with leprosy comes running up, uh, you run away. Because they are very contagious, and that disease disfigures a person, and they are expelled from society and told to roam or go to a, a to roam around or go to a, a leper colony. They wear tattered clothes and they go around dirty and they yell unclean, stay away. So here comes a leprous man running up toward Jesus and his followers, and they're probably all like, back away, Jesus, get back, it's a leper. And Jesus stood there. The man fell at his feet and asked, if you can, will you make me well? And Jesus compassionately touched his shoulder. He hadn't felt human touch since he had been exiled. Jesus touched him unafraid that the disease would come his way, but that the righteousness and healing would go that way. And then so he elevated that person back into his family, society, There would not be hardly anyone on the lower social level than a leper, and Jesus went down and elevated him. That's what Jesus was about. He demonstrated the value of a human life, probably no more so than when he died on the cross for us. You see, there had been a breach. Even though we were created in God's image, there was a turning away from God to go our own way and say, No, God, I don't need you. Because of that, there was sin. And Jesus, in dying on the cross, he took our sins on himself. He died for us that we could live. If God allowed his son to die for you, what is your value? You must be of eternal worth. So not only created by God, but redeemed by Jesus. If you're sitting here today and you're a believer You have a security and an identity in Christ as a beloved son or daughter. When you walk out of your house in the morning, you walk out as a secure and loved person, empowered person. A person who has an identity in Christ and wherever you go, you can just take and share his love without wanting just to impress people. You don't need to impress people. God has given you that value and that worth. Now, Jesus' followers took his teaching, love God, love people, and began to live it out. They were in, surrounded by pagans on every side. Pagans, with pagans, life was cheap. In the Roman Empire, life was cheap. There was no regard for other people, only selfishness. And in that, and among those pagans, the lives of Christians, who would sacrificially love and care for people, began to impress and cause questions. He was winsome. His followers took the gospel, loved God, loved people, throughout the Roman Empire, until the influence of Christianity had so permeated the Roman Empire. There were millions of them, and probably another million or so had been killed during persecution. So here are people who were brave and strong and compassionate, so much so that the emperor's mother became a Christian, and then Constantine became a Christian. And in 313, he legalized Christianity. And when he legalized Christianity, it meant that they were no longer to be persecuted, they could meet together, and they could have their buildings without being torn down. Now, like I said, in the Roman Empire, life was cheap. And here's some examples of how life was cheap, the difference between pagans and Christians. In Roman Empire, when a, a woman would have a baby, married or not, they would decide, or she would decide, is this uh, baby uh, flawed in any way? Or is it a girl? Is there some other mark that we don't want? Or is it just inconvenient? And they would take that baby... And they would take it out into the wilds. They would leave it, which was called abandoning infants, to, be, to die or be eaten by wild animals. That's just every day. You're walking down the road, you hear a baby crying. If you're a Roman, you're like, well, I guess they don't want that one. But Christians begin searching for those babies. And they would take them into their homes and raise them as their own. They may be a family that was struggling to survive even among themselves. A a woman in that day and time may have aborted a baby because if the the news got out about who the father was, it would be very embarrassing. And so human life was cheap, and they just, all around you, you would see that being demonstrated. Uh, Poverty. Poverty was so widespread. There were a few at the top that ruled, had all the riches. And then there were the people who were impoverished and they were disposable. And so no one really cared for them. There were no uh, uh, government initiatives to care for the poor. But in that, what is it Christians believe? That everyone is a child of God, love God, love people. They began feeding the poor. They would take the poor into their homes, shelter them, feed them. And care for them. They compassionately took care of the poor. In the Roman Empire, and this is a quote, in the Roman Empire, mercy was regarded as a character defect. And pity was categorized as a pathological emotion. Do you see how Christians could have set out so much that by 313, Christianity was legalized because the government of the Roman Empire wanted those people around. They were good citizens. They took better care of the Roman people than the Romans did. Um, Tertullian, who was a uh, Christian, early Christian church leader, he lived about 150 years after Jesus died and rose again. And he was writing a letter describing what's going on. He said, um, Christians give to the church... Money, their offerings, to support and bury poor people, to supply the wants of boys and girls, destitute means parents, old persons, those who were injured in shipwrecks, in mines, or in prisons. Now here you have a document a hundred years after Jesus died that Christians are still doing what he lived and modeled and taught them to do. Still, they're regarding everyone as precious. And so uh, that evidence is uh, bolstered by the writings of James, who was Jesus' half-brother. He wrote to Christians, at that time, they had been scattered by persecution. And here's what he wrote to them. He wrote to them about Christianity. He, He says religion, and that was the way they characterized Christianity in that day. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. All right, now, what were the Romans doing for orphans and widows? Nothing. And here James, Jesus' half-brother, is writing, let's keep up the work that Jesus started. Let's love God, let's love people. And then James 2, 14. He writes to them and kind of chides them a little bit. And he says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food if one of you says to them, go in peace. Keep warm and be well fed. That's not very compassionate, is it? But does not, not, nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. We have to ask ourselves are we walking the walk or just talking the talk? Are our lives expressing This beautiful, love God, love people that James wrote about. There are some other instances, like during a plague that would come upon a village. Those who were not infected would leave that village to avoid being contaminated. They would leave loved ones behind who were sick or hanging on to their lives. While they were gone, those who were Christians in the village would go into those abandoned homes, taking care of or burying those who had been infected by the plague, whatever it was. And they did this so consistently. But it was a sacrifice because some of them got sick, and they died. And the people would come back and they would see some of their loved ones had been nursed back to health, and they would find out, well, wait, who did that? And that stood out like a beacon. The status of women were elevated by this love God, love people, by the teachings of Jesus that everyone's created in God's image. In the Roman times, a woman, a wife, was her husband's property. He could treat her however he wanted. He could beat on her, abuse her. He could kick her out, and he could kill her. And no one would raise an eyebrow. Can you imagine that in our day and time? Next-door neighbors, a lot of screaming. You know, this body comes flying out the door. No one calls anybody for help. I mean, that just happened as a regular experience. But the high view that Christians had of... Mankind elevated the status of a woman. And Christian husbands, Christian families, the women were treated as equals. That's why on many Christian dating sites back in the day, men would say, Christian. <laughs> Very attractive. a Smooth move. <laughs> in 374, finally, it was decreed that women were no longer to be treated that way. And no longer could the husband mistreat them. But the rule in Roman Empire that women could be treated however a husband wanted, had been in effect for a thousand years thousand years of how men could treat their wives, slavery in the Roman Empire. thirty percent of the population were probably slaves. Now they had been taken from countries that the Romans had taken over, and sometimes people sold themselves into uh, slavery. Sometimes, uh, master slave traders would get those little infants and raise them to be slaves. The slaves had no rights, treated as property, treated as tools, and to be beaten or killed or whatever. But it's very interesting. Later on, in the Roman, as as things went, the slaves began to be. Treated better because of the influence of Christianity. Now, Paul is going to write to his friend Philemon, who lived in Colossae, I believe. And, uh, well, Philemon's slave ran away. And uh, back in the day, you could track him down and kill him. Well, his slave Onesimus ran away to Rome. Paul was in jail. Somehow they came in contact. Onesimus became a Christian. And Paul talked him into going back to Philemon, that's a dangerous track, and so he wrote to Philemon. Here, uh, here's what he says: Perhaps the reason Onesimus was separated from you for a little while was that you could have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and a brother in the lord did did you hear that this this resulted in christians who were slave masters treating their slaves like a brother in the lord or freeing them which was very dangerous because there was a law that you can't free your slaves but in 315 constantine made a ruling that no longer was it criminal to free a slave and that you can no longer get infants and make slaves out of them. All because the influence of Christianity they had never been before. Um, church leaders led this by uh, seeing that those who had owned slaves in their congregation would treat them fairly or release them. And uh, even uh, Patrick in Ireland uh, spoke out against slavery until uh, the 1400s in Europe. Slavery was almost non-existent because of the influence of Jesus' teaching that even slaves, everyone, created equal as a precious person. Slavery was almost wiped out. And we know that it came back, and I can tell you that the basis of the reintroduction of slavery was greed, pure and simple, And it was the actions of Christians that have brought it, again, down in America. Uh, The influence of Jesus making a point that everyone is equal in the eyes of God, equally loved. But I do need to point out to you something. Um, Do you think Christianity has a bad name among some people? Yeah. There is a difference between institutional Christianity and those who simply follow Jesus and live the way Jesus taught. Do you know that power corrupts? Not too long after the Christians were uh, freed from being persecuted and even elevated as being the religion of the Roman Empire, they began to treat pagans the way the pagans had treated them. They would hunt them down and pound them and say, you've got to be a Christian. To make Christians by force. I mean, institutional Christianity has given us a bad name. They've killed, they've sent armies, marched off to kill people, but no. But even among institutional Christianity, the value and worth of a person was maintained. And they went against that in the things that they did. Centuries later, after Christianity had spread, people began to come across the Atlantic and settle in the Western Hemisphere. And as they did that, the first ones who came, there were two primary reasons. One was freedom of religion. And the second one was that we would have the worth of the individual established in the founding documents. Two primary founding principles of our nation, America. And hasn't that made a difference? You see that uh, phrase, all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then the First Amendment goes on to say, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. I'm glad we live in a country founded so that we're not told how or who to worship. We have a freedom of that expression, a great freedom. Um, The notion of loving others continued to influence in our country, the government, businesses, nonprofits. I'm going to shock you, I think, in just a moment. Loving people, the uh, dignity and worth, sanctity of the individual, is throughout our government, organizations, and businesses. Now, they don't know where it came from or don't acknowledge that it came from all people are created equal by God, but the love people part is maintained. Uh, I can tell you that programs that our government has instituted, um, you may approve of some or not of others, but in 22, 2022, the federal government spent $1.19 trillion on more than 80 different welfare programs, 20% of the total budget to take care of people. Now, there are a lot of these, food stamps, health care. Many of these programs have uh, continued to express loving people. In fact, it was so influential after World War II in 1948 The United Nations met and here's what this is kind of boring, but you've got to understand that all of a sudden now the whole world are they're encompassing these values. Are you ready? Uh, Preamble United United Nations after uh, a war where communism and Nazism had killed millions of people whereas recognition of the inherent dignity and equal and inalienable rights of all members of the human family where did that come from it came from a little village a rabbi 2000 years ago i can guarantee you that the nations if they gathered them around 2000 years ago the roman empire the you know the chinese the tibetans the, the wherever whoever indigenous people got them all together and said Let us vote that every person has inalienable rights and we're not going to mistreat them anymore. They would have started fighting each other (laughs) right away. It wouldn't have happened because the permeation of loving people had not yet achieved its purpose. Now, uh, whereas disregard and contempt for human rights have resulted in barbarous acts which have outraged the conscience of mankind, in the Roman Empire, barbarous acts not only would not have outraged the contents, they would have been cheered on. Gladiators, like that. The advent of a world in which human beings shall enjoy freedom of speech, belief, and freedom from fear, and what has been proclaimed as the highest aspiration of common Now remember, this is the UN. These are all the representing nations. I think there are like 192, something like that. Uh, also, here's this article. All human beings are born free and equal, in dignity and rights. They're endowed with reason conscience and should act towards one another uh, as a spirit of brotherhood. Where did that come from? Because 2,000 years ago, there wasn't any of that acting toward each other in spirit of brotherhood. I'm not going to read the rest, but you see the point. This premise of the dignity of individuals, individual rights and justice became enshrined in the UN Charter. Because of the influence of Jesus, now back here in America, uh, the worth of individuals, nonprofits. How many of you are involved in nonprofit? Just raise your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Because there are, let me see, there are 1.8 million nonprofits in America, and 25 percent of adults in America volunteer and give money for these nonprofits. Uh, people like. Well, and those who have careers of helping people too, like teachers, and uh, first responders, and uh, coaches, and uh, baristas—you know—all those people are following that principle of treating people right. Uh, there's 20,000 nonprofits in Colorado. You may know of some of them, and you work with some of them. We have Momenta here; is a wonderful organization that cares for women. Ascendigo. I've come to know some people in Ascindigo, and here's their charter, what they have to say, elevating the spectrum for individuals with autism by empowering people, inspiring lives, and shattering expectations. Uh, our building has been used, uh, may still be used, by uh, the Ascindigo personnel who bring, like I'll see an adult, bring a small child in, and they would be here for an hour. And they're working with that child on the spectrum, caring for that child that perhaps a lot of people would not want to waste their time on. My friend Matthew uh, with the is in charge of teaching uh, teachers and first responders how to interact with a child on spectrum. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I just find myself in great respect of these and other nonprofits, service clubs, there are all kinds of nonprofits whose message, mission, is to help the disadvantaged and those with special needs. I'm in awe and thank you if you're a part of that. Um, in a way, we have to recognize that unchurched people, people who don't even believe in God, have been so influenced by loving people. They don't know why, and yet they do it. I've, I've found in, in talking with people today in America, uh, there aren't many. Well, here's what they say. I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven when I die. If we have a conversation, I say, well, where did you, you get that idea? They kind of go, uh, well, I'm not, uh, well I'm, I'm not sure, but yeah. You want to become a, a real Christian, and here's what some could say. I'd become a Christian if I didn't have to become an obnoxious, judgmental hypocrite and spend Sunday mornings in a building listening to boring music and irrelevant sermons where all they're interested in is money. <laughs> I'm glad we've got the orchard, right? I mean, we've got a hot band. <laughs> we have got uh, messages that inspire and are relevant to your life. We've got a congregation of people who will be accepting of you regardless of what you got, what you're dealing with, invite them. Invite your friends. And here's the way that you can shock unbelievers. Almost every unbeliever has a Christians done me wrong or the church has done me wrong story. I guarantee you. And so, when you hear that, kind of bring it out. I mean, tease it out and say, Do you go to church somewhere and then get back a little bit from the blast zone, and you'll hear what a church or Christians have done. Listen to that with concern and compassion. And you're like listening to a terrible story. It's a terrible story. And you're listening to it, and as they tell it, you say, oh, man, that that must have been terrible. I, I probably would have second thoughts if I'd gone through that, what you went through. I am so sorry. I want to apologize on behalf of Christians and churches for the way they treated you or your loved ones. And, and then you may need to call paramedics because they've never met a Christian who wouldn't get mad and defend the church and Christianity. Uh, if you're having a conversation with a friend, a worker, uh, somebody that you're rafting with, uh, listen compassionately. If you have time, everyone will get to their pain point. They'll get to a point of struggle. It's an it's epidemic. Everyone faces anxiety, fear, uh, anger, bitterness, resentment. They face medical diagnoses that are scary. They face relationships that are broken up. If you'll just listen compassionately, listen compassionately and say, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry for what you're going through. I know that must be terrible. And if it's possible, if you've listened compassionately enough, they may say, well, well, how do you do that? And you can say, well, I went through this period of time. I went through this financial setback. And if it hadn't have been for what I have from God, I don't think I would have made it. Because you see, every point of human struggle, anxiety, bitterness, whatever that may be, fear, there is a rescue plan that Jesus has installed that the church and Christians can help a person find. If you have stress and panic and worry, how about some peace from God? If you have depression, how about some love and some hope and some joy? If you feel all alone, how about some love expressed by us? Do you see how you can have a conversation? You've never been to a seminary. You don't have to know any, anything of the Bible except there's peace, joy, and love available for people from God. And you listen and you share that with them And then tell them about your church with a hot band. (laughs) Today we have seen, I hope that I've convinced you, that we live in a wonderful country that has been influenced by the teachings and life of Jesus. And people who are even unbelievers are out there helping others. Giving to the poor. Taking care of people. And we can be thankful for that. And it all happened because of Jesus Christ. One Solitary life.